Welcome to Dulles. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're listening. All right, so in November, a friend of mine who lives in Wisconsin told me, man, um, your dream to go to Lambeau Field, I'm going to make it happen, Brad. He said, if you can get to Wisconsin, I'm going to cover it. I'm going to co- cover, I'm, I'm cover the food, the tickets to the game, the place to stay. I stayed in his basement. And so I got there. And we went to Lambeau on this night, and I told the story back before Christmas. It was just like, I'm not going to say it was a more exciting night than the, the day my children were born, but it, 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 it was close. It was close. That night at Lambeau, I thought it was. So it was freezing cold. I wore snow gear, my ski pants. I mean, it was just, it was just and it started snowing right when we got to the stadium. And the stadium was so loud, and you know, I've been to games, I've been to college basketball, I mean, you know, where it's just thunderous, and Lambeau was like that. And then, near the end of the first quarter, the announcer comes on, the PA, and it's just crazy. These people are crazy. He says, okay, Lambeau, Green Bay, today's the first day it's snowing, and the place went crazy. They just cheered for like 30 seconds, like somebody had scored a touchdown, and it was a timeout. They're cheering that it's snowing for the first time. And then in the, the, close to halftime, the end of the second quarter, he comes on again and goes, okay, Green Bay, it's the coldest day here since last March. It's 26 degrees, and everybody just goes crazy. And, uh, the, you know, they keep putting the noise, you know, louder on the scoreboard. And this, I captured this. I just happened to look back, and I've got the word noise on the screen. And then I read this article from Clear Living. This is a, a Clear Living article from November 20. 2020, the cheer of the crowd during a big score, the excitement of the announcer analyzing each play, the marching band leading the celebration, and the rumble of the stadium seats. Whether it's high school, college, or pro football, football stadiums are some of the loudest venues in the world. Football stadiums can average between 80 and 90 decibels. That's considered in the loud or extremely loud range where hearing protection is recommended. Levels in some of the loudest football stadiums can reach over 100 decibels. And, oh, by the way, the article goes on to say, and that's really bad for your hearing, is what this says. When the Seattle Seahawks broke the world record for the loudest crowd roar in history at 137.6 decibels, it was said to cause a mini earthquake. And I've heard that, by the way, about Lane Stadium. DJ, I've been there for Inter Sandman at the beginning. I've read multiple times that at Virginia Tech, at the beginning of the game, uh, it's picked up on the Richter scale, which I just think is super cool. This sound at the Seattle Seahawks game at 137 decibels, that day when they broke the record, uh, is the equivalent to a jet engine taking off right beside you. And it's just got me thinking about what we give our voices to, what we do at concerts. It's funny, Amy, you said that during worship. You didn't know I was going to say this. You said almost exactly that we sing, we, we scream, we shout at concerts and, and games. And if you don't do that, I, I know you raise your voice or you give your voice to topics, maybe political debates, maybe at work. Maybe, maybe you give your voice to the people who agree with you politically, like, yeah about the other side, or maybe you give your voice to the opposition politically. And if you don't do that, you probably raise your voice in arguments in your house with your family. 
It's amazing as a species what we do with our voices and how loud we can be, how determined, and how seldom we can give our voices into dark places on behalf of God and who God is and what he's doing as participants of what God's doing in this world. We tend to be people who see oppression or something discouraging or something sad, and we say, oh, that's sad. Oh, that's, I hope that doesn't happen to my home or to my family, or I hope I never experience that, rather than have the instinct that God has given us a voice to speak into those situations on his behalf as participating with him. And yet we do it so readily when we're offended politically or we're at a game or we just, our voices. I think church has become a place where we sort of are reserved. It's like we're sacred. Where did the idea come from that we need to be sacred in the house of God? When in Psalms, in Paul's life, in the crowd that follows Jesus, the, the crowd pressing in, these are like... Fever pitch kinds of scenarios we see. Just the celebration. And the word praise, what the word praise means. What's happening in the context of God's people celebrating what's possible. What he makes possible. We've evolved over the recent hundreds of years to be very quiet. Faith is a very personal thing. I don't speak out. If I sing, I'm going to sing the words softly. And listen. I'm not critiquing you if you sing the word softly. I'm talking about just where we are generationally in the church. You ever want to just see God resolve something? I mean, I know you do. Whether you are deeply devout in your trust in God or maybe you're just kind of flirting with faith again. There's something in us that wants to see. There's situations. God, if you're there. Or God, I know you can do this. Just work in this person's life. God, heal. God, give hope. You ever want to see God put justice into a situation that is messed up or just unfair or someone's just been mistreated? And you find yourself waiting and waiting and waiting. And we know we're called. There are specific scriptures that call us to wait on the Lord. Sometimes we have to be patient. Sometimes we pray for something for months or years and God will honor. But there's something to be said, this idea that we, we find ourselves waiting and waiting and waiting. God, when are you going to act? When are you going to show up? And if your voice, if, if your ears are tuned to the voice of God, if your ears, like Jesus said, you have ears to hear, there's an inner sense in you that says, wait a minute. I think God is prompting me. If your ears are tuned that way, there are situations and moments inevitably where you find yourself waiting and waiting and waiting for God and this inner awareness whispers into your soul, he's waiting for you. We're waiting for God to act. We're waiting for God to give justice. We're waiting for God to restore or make right. And it turns out he's waiting for us to speak into the situation, for us to speak up, for us to step to move with encouragement and healing towards something that's broken. It reminds me of Moses. We looked at this a few weeks ago. Moses is on the far side of the wilderness, and we've talked about what the wilderness represents in Scripture. Just this place of lifelessness. There's nothing. There's nothing happening here. There's no growth. There's no encouragement. That's what the wilderness was. 
And there are people that would go into this physical place. And Moses is on the far side of the wilderness when God speaks through that, that burning bush and calls his name. And you think, yes, Moses must think, yes, God is going to go to Pharaoh and he's going to deliver. He's going to free the people from slavery. And God oddly says, Moses, I'm sending you. And Moses is like, what? You've shown up. You're going to do good. Go, go God. And Moses, uh, God says to Moses, Moses, I'll be with you. It will be me actually speaking to Pharaoh, but I'm going to do it through you. And I'm waiting for you to go, Moses. Okay, so rather than continuing to review that story, let's look at another story in the New Testament. This is in the record of the early church that Luke wrote. We call it the Acts or the Acts of the Apostles. This is the book of Acts. And in Acts 16, it's just one, it's been for years one of the most fascinating stories to me. And we're going to spend our last few minutes on this together. Once when we, now this is a, some of the apostles together, Paul and Silas in particular. Once when we were going to the place of prayer. So just the context here is they are praying. They're, they're speaking the truth and reality of Jesus to cities that have never heard. So they are working for God, and they're praying for the people that they're speaking to. Going to the place of prayer, we were met there by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. So she actually is rightly perceiving through the spirit that embodies her that, oh, these guys, there's something of creator God in them about rescuing humanity. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that it's like she's interrupting them and she's, she's not properly defining how God will save. Where their message is through Jesus. It's Jesus who rescues us. So Paul gets so annoyed that he turns around and says to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, which tells us this woman's being trafficked. In today's language, we would say this woman is being trafficked. She's being prostituted, in this case, for her fortune-telling uh, ability to... Discern spirits. And Paul and the apostles are freeing her from this oppressive life of slavery. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Now these guys are in cities to reveal the truth of who God is. To teach of Jesus coming out of the grave, having taken our brokenness in mistakes and regrets, our own selfish need of control that Scripture calls sin, he took all of that into the grave for us so we could be free, and then he walks out of the grave three days later with power even over death. They're revealing this to the cities and to people who've never heard. They're delivering people from slavery, and now they're being dragged. I mean, how's this for being treated? As somebody who's speaking the love of God... 
They are dragged into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are, the, are Jews, and they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. In other words, we can't make money off of women anymore that we have enslaved. I love their political language. By advocating customs unlawful for us Romans. The crowd joined them in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. You ever feel like you're doing something, you're trying, you're taking a step for God? You actually tell your story for the first time of your own encounter with God's good in your life, and it's just met with ugly or pushback, or you feel like, man, God, I'm speaking for you, and I'm, I'm actually being mistreated here. Like, what in the world is God doing, or what is God not doing? You ever felt that way? Like, I'm taking some risk here, and it's not going so well. When the jailer received these orders to guard them carefully, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their, seat, uh, their feet in the stocks. About midnight, this is where the story gets really great. <laughs> this is just mind-boggling that our God can work this way. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Are you serious? So tomorrow afternoon, about 3 o'clock, you're going to be dragged in the street and your clothes are going to be stripped off of you and you're going to be beaten until you're bleeding and then thrown into jail, carefully guarded with your feet and arms and stocks. Are you excited to sing hymns to God that night, tomorrow night, and to pray so that the other prisoners are listening? What is it about Paul and Silas? Are they just super spiritual? They're just so obsessed with being apostles that nothing shakes them, nothing rattles them. You're near death, but I'm just going to sing happy songs. It almost seems fake. Like, and we've known people, I've known people who fake it. They fake it religiously. They act like everything. They've got their act together. It's not that this doesn't hurt Paul and Silas. It's not that they're not full of questions. It's just that they believe in the power of the one they're teaching about to bring dead things back to life. In this kind of darkness, in this kind of opposition, setbacks, challenges we face, anxieties we deal with, it's just not enough to counter the trust they have and how great God is. And so about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And it's interesting how you think all oh, their voices are being silenced, and yet here they are in prison, the other prisoners were listening to them. God never let your voice be silenced. Even when you think, wow, this isn't going well, I really maybe should be quiet. Telling you God's spirit is always wanting to work through you and me when we give our voice, when we speak to the reality of, of a God who does good and beauty and broken and hurt and ugly. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose.
when you feel that you're receiving pushback or you're just like, this isn't going well. I just don't think God, where, where's God right now? I've been waiting and waiting and waiting. I, I, I do something good for someone. I try to take care of a need. I'm trying to help people experience some of the freedom I'm experiencing, and this is what happens? This is why we pray and sing and worship in the dark. The dark should not make us say, oh, it's not working. We live in a broken, dark world. We live in a world controlled by anxious thoughts and fears, and we all battle them. We live in a world of financial stress. We live in a world where parenting is not easy. We live in a world where marriage exposes the most selfish parts of you. We live in a world of betrayal and hurt. This is the world that is the result of humans deciding, we want to be God, I'm going to take control, and it breaks creation. So we shouldn't be surprised that we are living out our faith in dark places, in dark situations. And when we sing, when we lift our voice in prayer, when we worship a God in the darkness, crazy things happen. Where dead things come to life. And the impossible unfolds before us. And I think a lot of us risk stopping short. Because we see opposition or we see hurt or we see ugly. And we're like, ooh, this is, this is not good. It's not good. And your voice needs to go into that situation. And maybe you don't overtly speak to a, maybe a, the person at work who's struggling or the marriage crisis or the name. You don't just walk up to them and start... God's sensitivity in you says, no, 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 I want you in your home to lift your voice on behalf of your neighbor. This is a hard thing your child's going through right now. So when your child's at school, worship me. My greatness, my power. To undo or to do or to create what you don't think is possible. There is a power in this where we, it's, it's sort of like, you know, well, my wife knows she, that I love her. I don't need to tell her. Yes, you do. You need to tell her you love her because your words communicate in a language, sweetheart, this meant a lot to me. It's sort of the same way where we say, well, we, I, don't, I can sing quietly. I can not actually make noise. I can move my lips when I'm singing. Or I can sort of pray quietly some thoughts in the car. And yes, God honors that. But there are times and moments where the Spirit of God that's growing and developing in you says it's time to speak. Even if it's to heaven, God, you can do what nobody else can do in this situation. I know you can. Or God, I'm going to sing of your greatness. I trust you even in the difficulty. This isn't going so well right now. I can't explain it. I didn't expect to be bleeding on a prison floor tonight. But I'm singing of the one who makes dead things alive. It releases, it unleashes something in God's activity in this world where he's waiting for us. And we want to say like, Moses, God, it's amazing you showed up in the wilderness. Boy, this is a wilderness. It's dark. I killed somebody years ago, and God's like, Moses, I know you killed somebody. I'm God. I know. I understand the, dark, the wilderness you're in. And our people are enslaved. God, go get Pharaoh. And I'm just telling you, we live in a kingdom of God reality where he often says, 
I'm going to go get Pharaoh. We're going to go free the people. We're going to go speak life, but I'm going to do it through you, Moses. But my speech isn't eloquent. I'm not a speaker. I'm not a leader. We do it. I sensed God calling me to be a pastor. I knew it after six or eight months of just knowing. I couldn't get these thoughts out of my head. I knew it. I knew. I think this is God's calling. I can't escape it. You know what I did? I stopped going to church. I stopped going to church. I just ran from God. I was like, I'll deal with this later. I wanted to be a football player. I stopped growing at 5'8". That didn't go very far, so I decided to become an architect. And God's whisper, Brad, a church, loving people, imperfect people, being made whole. It, just, it was unavoidable. I knew it was God's spirit, and so I just stopped going to church, which for about six months. And then I said yes. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he... Now, that almost sounds silly, but this is how oppressive this government is in ancient Rome. Like, this jailer was ordered, these are special prisoners, don't let them out of your sight. And when he realizes, oh my gosh, the prison doors... Like, it would be better to kill himself than to deal with what's going to happen. He thought the prisoners had escaped, but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. I wrote here that there are times when God seems to be absent or not watching or not listening. Does he not see that I'm speaking about him? We just freed this woman from slavery. A relationship with God, being connected to God's great and his good and his beauty is a relationship. It's two. It's him and it's you. It's his voice of power and it's your voice. This is how it works. You want to walk in the remarkable? You want to see God's reality in your life? You want to be part of God's plan? Your voice must be part of it. I know there's extroverts here in the room who might be saying, well, you know, well, that's, that's easier. And introverts who say, wait a minute, what? My voice? You may not stand on a stage. You may not speak to three or four people at once at work. But God is waiting to use you in a difficult, dark circumstance where life is shaken out of what seems death or hopelessness, where nothing good can happen here. Life comes about because your voice is matching God's voice. You are joining his work in his heart. You are speaking of his power, his life. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That word saved, that can sound churchy now in our generation, but it means how can I be made whole? Because you guys are about whole life. When life isn't working for other people, you guys are connected to life. How can I have this life, and how can I be, direct, how can I be directly connected to God? How can my soul be made right with God is what saved me. If you remain in fear, if you remain in, t in intimidation, if you remain in a place of saying no to God, maybe you don't say it no out loud, but you just your inaction is a no to God, keeping a strong grip of control, not allowing God to use you, he will respect your choice. He will respect your control, and he will not use you. 
Oddly, God will grant your request. He'll answer your prayer, God, no, not me. He eventually will say, okay, I'm going to answer that prayer. He is looking for people who want to step into the plan and power and beauty of God at work on planet Earth. In your neighborhood. And this often is giving voice to discouraged, dark, hurting circumstances. The jailer goes on to experience what's the word is salvation. Being made whole with God in all of his household. He's baptized. They're all baptized. They have a great meal. And the magistrates, by the way, say, hey, let's free Paul and Silas. There's something amazing about them. We don't want to mess with them. And they freed them. Like officially freed them from the prosecution. Our band's going to come, close us this morning in song. And I'm, I'm, I'm just going to tell you here, I, um, next Sunday uh, at the end of my message, I'm going to invite you to come forward to the, to the table where the elements of communion will be on the table. And we'll go back to our seats and we're going to have this very worshipful time together. Last Sunday, I invited you, I was, I was thinking all week, like, what's, what is something we need to do to move? Maybe it's symbolic, maybe, you know, I use the word symbolic. And what I decided on was, let's, let, I'm going to invite anybody who wants to join me to, to move symbolically here to the front as we sang the last song. And uh, it was just a sweet time together. I thought it was a really special time together. And I don't like recreating things. Sometimes I feel like it's sort of like trying to be emotional or something. But I can't think of anything else this week. I really believe we're kind of in this season right now. We're going to do this around the table next week of actually moving, not sitting and agreeing, wow, Brad's message, I, I liked it. Or, oh, that's, a, that's that story. But we actually practice what we're going to do Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. We're going to step with God. We're going to move toward the voice of God. And so there's this line, you use songs of praise to to shake prison walls. And I didn't know that song was going to be here today. I really didn't. Like, we discovered that like three or four days ago. Like, what? So as we're singing this last song, I mean, it's, it's, it's an invitation similar to last week. It's not about doing something that feels emotional. It's about moving toward the voice of God. I'm going to walk down off these steps again, and I'm going to stand a little closer than normal as symbolic of me saying, I am going to act as best I can. Hearing the voice of God, discerning him, saying, Brad, I want to use you. I want you to go into this conversation. I want you to speak life and encouragement. I just want to chase the voice of God, and I'm asking you as a church family, as a tribe that we're becoming, to chase and pursue and step and move toward God's voice. And so again, during this closing song, as we sing about prison walls shaking, uh, let's pursue and walk toward and move toward the voice of God together.